Well, in case you couldn't figure that out, that wasn't, you know, shot right here around the corner. So, shot somewhere in the south, I believe Kentucky. So, uh, well, thanks for joining us today. We're, we're launching into a new series called God of Wonders, where we're going to be looking at who, who God is. And there's all sorts of ideas of who God is. Of course, you saw a handful of viewpoints of, you know, how God is like us or how he's different from us. And so we're going to try to take a look at this whole understanding God. And that's a very, very difficult thing to do because, um, because we're pretty limited in our, in our intellect and in our own minds of what we can truly understand anyways. Um, but then to try to figure out God, um, that, that's, that's a very, very difficult thing. But we're going to work on this together. And it's easy to be kind of in the fog. And you probably noticed some folks on the video that, that seemed kind of cloudy about the idea. You know, you'd ask them, you know, how is God like you? I don't know. They're kind of in the fog. And at times we feel like we're in the fog. And when you're in the fog, it's very, very difficult to move forward in the fog. Uh, probably eight or nine years ago, um, me and DJ, one of the guys here in our families, were taking some uh, teenagers from our, our church at the time up to a retreat. And we were driving up the, up the hill and we're in a couple of minivans and we're driving up the hill of Arrowhead, and we hit this point where the fog was so thick we couldn't see anything. And it was it was one of those situations where uh, it was dangerous to continue moving forward. We didn't know what to do. We got a you know a couple of vans of of uh, teenagers expecting us to you know safely get them somewhere. Their parents are back home, having no idea that any of this is going on. So I stop the, the van and I get out because they can't see anything. Probably not the best idea. And then uh, another bad idea was I had one of the teenagers get out and walk on up the hill kind of ahead and tell us if we're going to go off a cliff because we couldn't see. Because <laughs> we were the responsible drivers. And so we had to make sure that the kids made it safely. And uh, so yeah, I was like, Jeremy, walk. You just walk a little ahead of us. And Jeremy's walking up ahead. He's a big, tall guy, so he had a better view anyway. And uh, and he's walking and... and uh, Eventually, we were creeping up the hill. Honestly, we're just, he's right in front of the car, and we're just slowly creeping up because we could not see the guardrails. We couldn't see where we're going. And uh, we got out of the fog to the point where we could see. And it's funny, you know, in the mountains, you, as soon as you hit where there's a lot of uh, things, buildings, things like that, it's not quite as foggy, I think. And we must have hit something like that. We hit the town eventually. It wasn't like I had him walking for miles. Let me clarify. This is just a few, maybe, hundred feet. I don't know. But, uh. But we were in the fog, and we just couldn't, we couldn't see what was going on. We had a hard time moving forward. And that's very, very true about life. When we feel in the fog about something, we just don't know how to move forward. We don't know how to relate. We don't know how to act. And whenever there's mystery around a certain person, you know, we just we form opinions. We begin to respond to a person if, if he's mysterious. Take, for example, your neighbors. Just think about your neighbors. Um, there always tends to be people that are easier to get to know, and then there's some people that maybe aren't that easy to get to know. There, there may be one or two mysterious neighbors that you have, and you just kind of you peer into their garage, or maybe you don't. <laughs> now you're all confused about me. So <laughs> you peer into their life, I guess, and, and you're just trying to figure out, why are they not waving? Why are they not, you know, the friendly neighbor, and you know? What is it about about them? You know, I'm the strange guy here. I'm the one looking in people's garages, huh? 
They must be thinking that about me. But, but honestly, until you go and meet a person, you know, I had an impression about one of my neighbors until I met them. And then I meet them, hey, this, guy, this guy's a pretty normal guy, you know. We're different in some ways, but he's, he's easy to talk to. We have a relationship now. But I had formed an opinion based on some mystery. I was a little bit in the fog in the relationship. And, and until I broke through the fog and found out who he was, I wasn't really able to, to, to relate. And it's very, very similar with God. The same can be true of knowing him. If we're just in the fog and we don't have our bus through and try to figure out who, who is God really, then how can we really relate to him? How can we really trust him? How can we pray to him? We looked at a message series the past several weeks on prayer. But how, how can you pray to a God that you don't really know? It's hard to do that. You know, we can teach on prayer. We can describe what it's all about. But how can you truly pray to God that you don't know? That's why we're getting into this message series. As I was praying through where to go next and in uh, the messages, it was just clear that, you know what, this would be a great time to look at something called the doctrine of God. Who is God? And so we're going to look at this. And it really matters. Um, the first question I have on here is, why, why does it matter? Why does my view of God matter? The first thing is this, because all human problems can be traced to our view of God. Everything that's wrong in the world, everything that goes wrong in our lives, that all can be traced back to our view of God and the view that other people have of God. Their perspective of God, it affects the way we do life. Even from the very beginning of time, the first man and woman, they decided that they were going to relate to God in a certain way. They had a picture of God, and then Satan came along and tempted them to, to adopt a different view, which led to living life independent from God. They chose to rebel and do life independent from God, and then we in turn have continued that. As, as humans, we have all decided to just try to navigate through life on our own, apart from God. And in a sense, what, what happened with the first man, the first woman, Adam and Eve, when they rebelled against God. In a sense, they, they lowered the value of God. They saw Him a certain way, and they lifted up themselves. And that's kind of what's happened. We've followed that same thing. We've lifted ourselves up in a way that's saying, hey, I almost see myself as, as the guy who calls the shots. In a sense, we've elevated ourselves to the points of the shot caller, God, in a sense. We've tried to replace Him at times. Romans 3 talks about this condition that, that we face. And there's a verse that, um, that says, it's Romans 3.23, it's not in your outline, but it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that just states that fact that our condition is, we all choose to do life independent from God. We've all sinned. We've missed God's mark for life. And if you back up in Romans 3, there's a section, there's, there's some verses that talks about just the problem that we face. This is Romans 3.10, and it says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. So basically, you know, no one gets it right. No one is perfect like God. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's not one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. And then verse 18, really a key verse. There is no fear of God before their eyes. What he's saying is, there's not a, there's not a respect for who God is. There, there's not an accurate view of God. Seeing Him for who He is 
and understanding our relationship to Him. There's no fear of God in our eyes. And because of that, there's just this entry of all sorts of problems in our lives. And if you look back at Romans chapter 1, you see all sorts of specific examples of what humans have done as they've lowered the value of God and not seen Him for who He says He is. And just even in, in the course of history, many, many people have, have denied the existence of God or they've lowered God. They said, He's not really like that, like the Bible says. He's, he's more like this, and they've created their own view of God. And what, what happens is if you deny God's existence or you lower who He says He is, then it opens the door to all sorts of evil. As soon as you decide that, that God is lower than He says He is, then, then man, if we're created in His image like the Scripture says, then man loses its... We lose our inherent value. The fact that if we're created in God's image and God isn't really who He says He is, then, then we're created in His image. Then that lowers our value. And in history, as people have done that, it is, you know, senseless. Millions and millions of people have died, you know, with different governments that have risen up and said, you know, there is no God. Well, then the value of human life is very, very low in those societies. And, it, and then people feel okay with committing all sorts of senseless crimes against humanity. And so it's really important. That our view of God really matters because all human problems can be traced to the way we view God. Secondly, though, our view of God will change the way we live and relate to others. If you view God as being involved in our lives and present, then that changes the way we do life. If, if you believe that this is, you know, this, this is His Word to us and that this gives us direction for our lives, then this really changes our, our decisions. Take, for example, another neighborhood street, typical street. You, know, you don't know the stories on a typical street, but imagine you know, there's this street and you're just kind of going and learning about the stories. Maybe you have one family who, who loves their kids and they display that and you see it. And it's tied to the fact that they know God loves them. And they understand they love people because God loves them. Maybe another family is, they, they have foster children. And maybe that family has grown to understand that God, you know, cares about all. And, and so they have this heart of compassion, just like God has a heart of compassion. And it grows out of their understanding of God. And maybe next door you've got a family who's abusive and they neglect their children. And that may, it grows out of their understanding of who God is. Maybe another family that just is, you know, just in all sorts of um, problems financially. And, uh, you know, maybe another person who just cheats their customer. And they have very low view of God. And so they don't feel like God is paying attention. So it's okay if they cheat people. Another person, they have opportunities to cheat, but they recognize that God is paying attention. He's not falling asleep. He's not way off in the distance, but he's, he's paying attention. Hebrews 4.13 it says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. You know, God is He's paying attention. He sees what happens in our lives. He sees everything. He sees our every course of action. And so, our, our view of Him, if we understand Him more accurately and we get to know Him more and more, it really will change the way we do life because out of respect for Him, out of our... our proper and healthy view of Him, it really can help us. The third thing is just simply our ability to trust Him depends on having an accurate view of Him. Again, how can we trust a God that we don't know? That, that's a really difficult question. You know, sometimes I, I am 
uh, I struggle in this area of trusting God. And what I have to do is I have to come back to, what do I know about God? What, what does the Scriptures say about Him? And what have I experienced in light of what the Scriptures say? Because if I know who He is, and if I know He's trustworthy, then I can continue to rely on Him. And, you know, we know all sorts of people who are untrustworthy, and we've seen and we read about people who you'd expect to be trustworthy, and then they're not. And then it comes up that we're, it's very, very difficult to trust people. So again, with God, it's very easy to think, I'm not just going to blindly trust my life to a God that I don't know. Um, so He wants us to get to know Him. He invites us to, to experience Him in a real relationship. Uh, people you know, who believe in God, in, in the Bible, have, have found Him to be reliable. People who live today, who walk with Him, they've found God to be reliable. Isaiah was a prophet, and he, he said this in Isaiah 26. He said, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. This word rock, God is a rock, is a description of God. It's not that he's this little tiny pebble, or even a little skipping stone that you can throw in the water, or it's not even that it's a, you know, a little, you know, some of us have, have you know decorative stones in their yard, you know, bigger stones. This is not a description of that. This is a description of a mighty boulder that is part of a giant mountain. This is large, large stone that, that is like a refuge. And that's the picture here, that God is a refuge. He is someone that is completely trustworthy. When everything's fallen out from under the sky, you look for the rock that, that, that provides some refuge, that provides safety. And when our lives are, you know, are falling apart or we seem to be falling apart, we run to the rock. That, that's why it's so important to understand who God is because we need to know who we can put our trust in. And, and so there's really a lot to this, to the doctrine of God. And so we're going to cover each week probably three or four of his characteristics, parts of his nature. And so the word God is used all over the place, okay? People have very, very different views of God. And, and it's undefined in many, many people's minds. Um, some see God as a superhuman person, you know, like a cartoon figure, kind of animated, just mighty God. Smite me, oh mighty smiter. You've heard that from a movie probably. Just this superhuman person. Or, or some people see God as a very, very mysterious figure. Or he's a force. He's this mighty force in the universe. Others see God as this great, great grandfather in the sky who, who wouldn't harm anything. Um, or, or he's a heavenly policeman. And so we're constantly living our lives kind of afraid that if we take the wrong step or we make the wrong decision, oops, he's going to zap us out or he's going to squish us like an ant. And so we have all these different views of God that float around. But if we're going to know who God is and if we're going to live our lives in line with reality then we've got to figure out who God says He is. And we can't know God, and this is just true, you can't know someone, just like my neighbor, unless they reveal themselves to you, right? Unless they, they allow you to meet them. And the same is true with God. You cannot know God unless He reveals Himself to you. And the good thing is God has. God has revealed Himself to us. And, and I want to share with you a scripture. This is Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. It says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets 
at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. So the Scripture is saying, the writer of Hebrews is saying, God has spoken to us in these two ways. He's saying, in the past, through the prophets. So God spoke through the prophets in the Old Testament. And then, at a certain point, He sent His Son. The Scripture says, but in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, Jesus. He sent His Son, Jesus, to earth. And God, so God's revealed Himself to us in the, in the Bible, through, through the prophets, through the men that He used to communicate His message to us, and then by sending His Son, those two ways, the, the Scripture and, and Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So we discover His revelation. We can actually discover His revelation to us through getting into the Bible. That's how we do it. We get into the Bible. That's how we discover how He's revealed Himself to us. Now, there's other things that God has done to reveal. There's different ways we can understand God beyond the Bible and Jesus Christ. But those are the two main ways that He has revealed Himself to us. And so apart from, you know, if we just set the Bible and say, aside and say, God, I'm going to get to know God in my own way, um, then the God of the Bible won't be known to us. We won't be able to understand who He really is. We'll have an inaccurate view. And then what that will do is it will lead to all sorts of problems. And it will lead to just a lifestyle that's, that's lived pretty haphazardly, apart from what God would want. But God has spoken. And since He's spoken and He's revealed Himself to us, um, the good thing is we no longer have the need to just conjure up an idea of who God is. We don't have to create our own God. We don't have to write our own picture of God. God's already done that for us. So He wants us to simply get to know Him. And according to the Scriptures... Um, some things about God. These are, these are the specifics that we'll be looking at. God is like us in some ways. Okay, There's some things about Him that He shares with humanity. Not that He's trying to be like us, but in, in reverse, He's like us in that He has made us in His image. And there are some moral attributes or some things He's communicated, He shares with His creation. Things like love, justice, goodness, mercy. Things we can do. We're like Him in some ways. And we're going to look at those things in a few weeks. Um, but also, you know, the good thing about God being like us is He's like us enough so that He can understand our problems. That's why it's helpful to know that He's like us. Because if He's like us, then we can relate to Him. We say, God can actually understand me. He can help me. And at the same time, God is unlike us in some ways. He's not like us. There are some things, there are some parts about His nature that He is just so far beyond us. We can't quite get our minds around who He really is. And those ways are, are known as His natural attributes. There's just some things that He is naturally that He has not communicated or shared with us. And we, we try to get a glimpse and we piece together who He is, but it's very, very difficult to understand it because, and we're going to try this morning, but we don't share those attributes with Him. So we can't fully understand who God is this, this side of heaven. But this is where we're going to start. We're going to look at these areas where he's very mysterious and try to get a clearer picture of who he is. So the first thing is, is God, he has a triune nature. And you may have heard this before, or maybe this is your first time hearing this, but there's something called the doctrine of the Trinity. And um, the doctrine of the Trinity is, states this, you have it in your outline, God is one being, he's one, but he has eternally existed in three persons. 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he's three in one. Okay, It's something not easy for us to get our minds around. Uh, and in the Bible, there isn't a single verse that alone states this belief, the belief of the Trinity, that God is the Trinity. There's not a single verse that says, you're not going to find a Bible verse that says, God is the Trinity, and that means this. What it is, though, is there is, throughout, throughout the entire Scripture, there's this concept of the Trinity woven throughout the whole thing. The Old Testament, the New Testament. You'll just find this in the fabric of, of the Scripture, that God is, is one. He's one, but He's also manifested Himself as three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't make sense mathematically, because one plus one plus one equals three. But somehow, in God's math, and the way He does life, and the way, he's, the way He is, He is three in one. And I want to share with you some verses to try to help you understand this. Um, there's some early clues in the first chapters of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So we're going to kind of flip back and forth between these. Um, so if you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, you can. Otherwise, it's on the screen. In Genesis 1.1, the very first verse in the Bible, in the Old Testament. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. So in the very beginning, you have God. Okay? The word God itself, in the, in the language that the Bible is written in Hebrew, the word God generically is El. We would transliterate it E-L. But the, the Hebrew word that's, that's found for God is Elohim, which is a plural ending to the word God. Now it doesn't, um, when it's translated, we read God. We don't read God's. But there's something in his name that is, it, there's a plural, and people write about it, and they write all sorts of books about this, but there is a sense of plural language just in the, in the wording itself, that he is a, a plurality within his own, uh, within who he, he is, he exists in relationships. And God created, in these first verses, God created by the means of the Word and the Spirit. He spoke, and then also the Spirit was involved. So there's, there's this, and we're going to move back to this verse in just a second, but I'd like you to move on to the next verses. This is uh, Genesis 1.26. And in this story, God, you know, he creates light first, and then he goes and he starts creating different things as each day of creation goes on. Well, he comes to on the last day, and, and it says, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So he makes us. He makes mankind. He makes the first man and woman. But look at the language there. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image. You see the, he's not saying, let me make man and let, let them be like me. He's saying, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. He's using, um, again, plural language because he's expressing that he is a, he's a trinity. And even in the first chapter of the Bible, you, you find this. And if you flip to the first book of the New Testament, which is the book of John, you'll find... Again, the Trinity begins to pop up. John 1, one says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And if you read, read on, it says, he was with God in the beginning. Now, he makes this distinction. He's saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So he's, he's separating the Word from God. But then it's saying, and the Word was God. So he's calling this thing the Word. He's calling him God. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 3 says, through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. So there's this, this picture of the Word. And if you contrast that to Genesis 1, when God's, you know, He's there in the beginning and creates everything, He's, he's saying, He spoke, and God said, let there be light. And there's something about the spoken Word that happened in creation was God Himself was expressing that there's this, the Word, okay? Now, John, the writer here, he picks up on the fact that the Word was with God. A big part of the process of creating was the Word. Look down at verse uh, 14. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Word of God, the one who, who spoke, had personal creative power in creation in Genesis, John 1 is telling us that that Word was God. And verse 14 here is telling us that's Jesus. If you read about this, this is John testifying about Jesus Christ. He's saying He came as a man. He, he made His dwelling among us. We have beheld His glory because these men actually experienced God working through, working as Jesus. They saw this. This was not just an ordinary man. This was God Himself. And so there's, in the, there's these early clues about the Trinity in the New Testament in the Old Testament, where we began to get a picture that God is more than just um, this this mysterious one singular force, but He is this plurality, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So those are some early clues. Then, in the Old Testament, we you know we, we get more and more clues. I didn't give you them all, but I can give you lots if you like. And but then later in the New Testament, what you find out is the New Testament begins to describe just how distinct the persons of the Godhead are. He begins to, the New Testament describes who Jesus is and the role that the Son of God plays. Also describes the role of the Holy Spirit and how He is God and how God the Father, you know, He's the planner and the initiator and things. And so in the New Testament, you get to understand more and more about the Trinity and how it works. Um, look at John 10:27 through 33. You have a description here that Jesus gives where he begins to claim to be one with the Father. John 10, 27 through 33 says, Jesus is speaking. He says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Verse 30 is a real powerful verse. He's just talked about how he, he's calling his followers, his sheep, that won't fall out of his hand. And then he says, my father, they're not going to fall out of his hands. He's like talking about him. He's talking about his father. You're like, well, who are you talking about, Jesus? Are you talking about you? Are you talking about your father? And then he says, verse 30, well, I and the father are one. And then in verse 31, again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the father. For which of these do you stone me? Verse 33, we are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. You see, this was, this was crazy. This was a crazy claim. 
And the people in those days were thinking, man, this guy deserves to be killed. No one can claim to be God. And Jesus is claiming to be God because he was God. And over and over and over, he makes these claims about his deity, the fact that he was one with the Father. John 14, 7 through 9, another passage. 14, 7 through 9 says this, If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And then one of his followers, Philip, he says, Lord, just, just show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So Jesus is just constantly trying to, to help his followers understand who he is. And again, for, for them it was hard to understand. For us, it's extremely difficult to make these connections. One of the last things that Jesus did, he, you know, Jesus died. He was risen from the dead. He ascended to the Father. But just before he ascended to the Father, where he is at this point, the right hand of God, he gave his followers a mission. He said, I'm going to send you into all the world, and you're going to be my witnesses. I want you to spread this message all around. And in verse 19 of Matthew 28, he says, the mark of Christians would be baptism. He says, and, and I think I have this for you. Yeah, Matthew 28:19. He says, you're to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Over and over and over again, he's, he's elevating the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as one. Jesus was very clear about the Trinity, but it wasn't ever stated in a one line. We like things to be very clear. We don't believe it unless it is, right? You know, if someone's trying to sell us on something, we wanna, we want, we don't want to have to wade through mysterious language. We want to just be able to say, you know, show it to me in one simple statement. Well, again, God's woven this concept throughout the Scripture. And it wasn't just that Jesus being God was making that claim, but His followers eventually, they recognized that Jesus Himself was God. And so after Jesus ascended, what happened was His followers, their lives began to change. And they took the mission that he gave them. He took, they took it very seriously. They began to spread the word about who Jesus was. God used some of those men to write instruction for the church, which we benefit from, we learn from. And one of those men was, was a guy named Peter who walked with Jesus. And Peter, again, he verified this, the concept of the Trinity, that God is three in one. His followers, you know, they took their understanding of the Trinity all of the, the New Testament authors had this understanding that God is three in one, and it worked its way into their writings. Now, these were men who God had used to author the pages, who, to, to write the pages of Scripture. Look at 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. He makes reference to how all three of the members of the Trinity participate when a person becomes a Christian. He says this. This is the beginning of the book. This is just the, the starting point. He's saying, this is who wrote it, Peter. That's me. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. He's writing it to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout these different regions, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and sprinkling by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So he's saying, you know, he's saying God in His Trinity is completely involved in the fact that you've come to know Him. 
God the Father, he, He's the initiator. And what you learn in the Scripture, if you look at the descriptions of God the Father, He's initiating, He's planning, He's got a plan. And then Jesus, He's the actor, in a sense. He goes, He carries out the plan. He carries out the action. He was the one, you know, and let there be light. He was speaking things into existence. The Word of God was Jesus. And then the Spirit, He plays a supporting role. We, we can't even really see what the Holy Spirit does. But he plays a supporting role, working out the, the plans of the Father. And then these three, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we want to kind of uh, lift up maybe some over another. Like maybe the Father's most important and then, and then Jesus, or maybe Jesus and then the Spirit's down here. Well, what you find out through the Scripture is there's this interconnected relationship and there's mutual love and mutual um, submission to the roles that 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 were being carried out and it's very hard for us because in our relationships it's very very easy for us to to lift ourselves up or in relationships for there to be bickering and fighting and quarreling over roles and and who's going to get their way well in the relationship of in god's relationship what we see is just this just this harmony unity and support carrying out god's plans and i bring all of this up because it's extremely important for us to understand how life works. And I'm looking at the clock, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. I don't know what happened here. So uh, I do know what happened. But <laughs> um, but I bring up the Trinity first because that lays out for us an understanding of how relationships are to work. Relationships are critical the way we treat each other, the way we see ourselves in view of each other, God set a standard within the Trinity. The fact that He's Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet He's one God. That sets a picture for us or for how, to, for how we're to live and do life with each other. And, and I wanted to lay out the Trinity first because it sets everything else. Your understanding of God is built upon the Trinity. Without that, many, many people have gone and they've uh, gone off track. Many, many groups they started following and walking with the god of the bible but then they omitted the view of the trinity and it led to heresy it led to people whose lives eventually led off track and that, that we pay a price when we decide i'm going to let go of what god has revealed to us i'm going to create my own view of god so that's why i wanted to start with that if you flip over real quick i'm just going to tell you where we were going to be heading and uh god has some natural abilities okay these are some things that he does not share with us but he's transcendent Meaning he's above and beyond his creation. He's above and beyond. Meaning we cannot fathom his majesty. We can't get our minds around who he really is. He's transcendent. He's so far beyond our level of understanding. And at the same time, he's what's known as imminent. He's imminent. His presence and his power pervade his entire creation. Meaning he is so involved in everything that he's created. He hasn't just built everything, and then let it run on its own. But he's created everything, and he's actively involved in all that he has created. And that's what you find in Isaiah 57:15. He's both transcendent and he's imminent. For this is what the high and lofty one says, He who lives forever, his name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the, of the contrite. You see it in that verse, that he's high and lofty, but he's not too high and lofty to dwell 
with the contrite in heart. To dwell with those of us, you know, he, He's very, very involved in our lives. Another thing is He's omnipresent. He's fully present everywhere. He's fully present everywhere. And just the first verse, Psalm 137, 139 verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? It goes on to say there's nowhere. There's nowhere we can go where God is not. He's always there with us. He's always present. And this truth really impacts us in, in our darkest moments, in our loneliest moments. Knowing that God is with us, it sure helps. It doesn't always take the pain away, but it helps. It helps to know that we're never alone. There's some next steps you could take for today if you'd like. Um, you might want to memorize that verse, Psalm 139, verse 7. 7 through 10 is a longer section, but 7 just says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Just having to understand that God is always with us. He's present. He's always present. Maybe another thing is just make a list of all the ways that you see God personally involved in your life and then give thanks to Him in prayer. Just recognizing. Take, take some time this week to, to sit and list out all the ways you see God involved in your life and then just say, God, I want to thank you for all these things that, I've, that I can see you doing. One that I would really urge, begin reading the Bible. Just begin reading the Bible. Get a clearer view of who God is. Let God through His Word, reveal Himself to you. Last, you might just encourage a friend to come with you, someone you think that could, um, you know, maybe is, is searching for answers about who God is, and they want to learn about um, this. Bring them with you. Invite them to come and attend this rest of the series with you. We're going to try to keep it uh, short, shorter. <laughs> We're still going to uh, close with some worship songs. Let's, let's pray as we close our service. Father.